everyone. Welcome to episode 146 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. My name is Jeremy Bement, and I am your host. Thank you for downloading this latest episode, and uh, let's go over what we're going to cover today. Today, uh, in this episode, we are going to cover the news. Uh, there's a little bit of news, not really comic direct, but comic related news. We'll cover that, as well as new releases. And then we're going to dive into the Matrix to take a look at uh, some classic Dalek comic strips from TV Century 21. We're going to check out the story, The Amaryl Challenge, and uh, continue on with my reading of the classic Dalek strips from back in the 60s. And then for our featured interview this time around, I had a chat with somebody uh, who did a comic strip all on his own uh, on the internet Back about 10 years ago, it was called The Ten Doctors, and the creator of that strip was Rich Morris. And Rich uh, joined me after a little bit of kind of scheduling conflicts between the two of us to finally sit down and have a chat about this strip. I was a big fan of this strip back in the day when he was putting it out, and uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. And I think you'll find Rich an interesting gentleman, and I had a, a great chat with him, and I hope you enjoy it. So that is this episode of Dr. Who Panel to Panel, and uh, let's jump right into this episode and go with the news. Today in Dr. Who Comic News, uh, new releases, it's kind of quiet on the Western Front. Uh, this past month of October, we had Dr. Who Magazine number 583 come out over in the UK and digitally on Thursday the 13th. And by my calculations, according to that, uh, the next issue of Doctor Who magazine, issue number 584, should be coming out in the UK and digitally on uh, Thursday, November 10th. So that's kind of it as far as new releases or Doctor Who uh, comic content. Outside of the fact that the collected uh, Dalek strips in graphic novel or collected edition form the first volume of those have come out over in the UK. I'm hoping that they come out here in the States fairly quick because I heard that that first volume is wonderful. And I believe volume two is supposed to be coming out right around December 1st is what I seem to remember hearing over in the UK, which means that it'll probably be coming out in uh, January, February, March sometime there in uh, the U.S. here in the States. So uh, check with your local comic shop. You might still be able to get an order in for the complete or collected Dalek strips. Volume 1 and Volume 2 has not been solicited as yet. It's probably in the new previews. I'll be coming out this coming week as I record this, uh, this segment of the news. Outside of that, as far as comic news, there's nothing really new as far as new projects or anything being announced. However, uh, this week, word came down from on high, thanks to Russell Davies and some press releases, that uh, now that we're into a, a new era of Doctor Who on the TV, we are going to be uh, experiencing it through Disney+, Plus, uh, at least everywhere outside of uh, UK and Ireland. Disney signed a deal with the BBC to air the new Doctor Who shows, starting with the specials next year on Disney Plus, which I think is, me personally, I think it's a good thing. Um, Disney is uh, amazing when it comes to marketing, and I think they will do a really good job over this upcoming year to put Doctor Who into people's minds to introduce a whole new generation of people who are watching Disney Plus to Doctor Who. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they start doing some kind of retrospectives, uh, introducing monsters and villains, introducing the Doctor. 
and coming up with some uh, video content on Disney Plus to get people up to speed on what who uh, Doctor Who is, what the TV show is, um, probably some of the history behind it. And they will do a good job of, of pushing this so that by the time we reach next fall when the, the specials air for the big anniversary of Doctor Who, that uh, it will be at the forefront of people's minds. So I'm personally really excited about that. One of the other aspects of this deal with Disney um, is that it, there's questions that arise involving licensing. Um, nobody really knows the scope of what Disney is involved in with Doctor Who. Um, apparently, they do have a bit of a say as to what to expect to see in Doctor Who. Apparently, they're putting some uh, dollars to their votes uh, to help make the show to increase the budget and to make it bigger than what it already is. Um, as far as licensing goes, that's kind of all up in the air. One part of licensing, of course, is what companies are doing the comic books. Right now, as far as I know, Titan Comics still has the rights to uh, produce Doctor Who comics. They, uh, as far as I know, it still has some time before it's up for renewal. Um, at that point in time, since Disney will have a stake in Doctor Who, and since they own Marvel Comics, um, it is totally possible that they put in a bid for Marvel Comics to produce Doctor Who comics again. Um, that's all kind of a wait and see. Um, I'm also waiting to see what Titan is going to do with Doctor Who comics because they haven't really announced anything other than pushing back the the Dan Slott Doctor Who special uh, pushed it back a year, which um, that gives them almost a year to put out something else in the meantime. Since they haven't announced anything, nobody has really said anything, that kind of leaves a, a, me wondering what they're going to do. Um, likewise, Doctor Who magazine is uh, kind of a mainstay of, of Doctor Who. Russell Davies is a huge fan of Doctor Who magazine. Um, when he brought the show back back in 2005 or 2004 when they started producing it, he assured Doctor Who magazine, we are not going to mess with you, you know, you are still going to be around. But still, that is a licensed property, so we will have to, I guess, kind of wait and see what happens if Panini can, continues to keep the, the licensing rights to make Doctor Who magazine, or will... Uh, it go up for bid and somebody else uh, put in a bid to do it. Maybe uh, Disney and Marvel, through Marvel, will put a bid to do Doctor Who magazine. Um, one other thing that I'm wondering about uh, right now, the the comic strip that's been in Doctor Who magazine, the last issue that came out had uh, the final part of a comic strip story. And at that point in time... Uh, Russ Leach, the artist on that strip, announced that that was his last strip that he was doing for Doctor Who magazine. Um, that instantly had me wondering, are they taking another hiatus from the strip due to the fact that Jodie Whittaker's era as Doctor Who just ended with The Power of the Doctor on TV and they could easily just take a break right now and not do the strip or um, just decide not to do the strip at all or wait until next year when David Tennant takes his turn once again as the doctor. Um, but 
I'm anxiously waiting for the new issue of Doctor Who magazine to come out to find out what they're going to do. And hopefully we will have a new uh, strip with uh, another artist and another writer, and it continues on. That's what I'm hoping. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. So I guess this news kind of turned into a little bit of an opinion piece by me, but um, it's definitely something that I think is at the front of a lot of people's minds, especially this past week, after this big announcement with Doctor Who partnering up with Disney+. Plus and everything that in that uh, announcement entails. So, I guess uh, you will be enjoying the ride with me as we kind of sit back and wait and see what happens. So, that is it for the news. Moving on in this episode, let's take a look at a, a classic Doctor Who comic strip. On this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, we are going to take a look at a classic story. We are going to go into The Matrix and take a look at uh, the next part of the Dalek comic strip from the 60s as I'm slowly working my way through that in amongst everything else that I read. And we are going to take a look at the third story in this uh, book, The Amaryll Challenge, is what the title of the story is. It was originally published in TV Century 21, issues 18 through 24, back in 1965. And it was written by David Whitaker and Terry Nation, with art by Richard Jennings. Uh, this story was a lot of fun to read. I'm, uh, as far as summing up the, the uh, strips, I am going to take a look at the comic strip. Com- com- Let's try this all over again. Less run on sentences, more breaks. It's time to take a look at a comic strip in this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, and this time we are going to go into the Matrix to take a look at the next strip in the Dalek uh, collection from Panini that I am slowly working my way through. Uh, and this time we are going to take a look at the Amaryll Challenge. This is the third story that was written by David Whitaker and Terry Nation with art by Richard Jennings. It originally was published in TV Century 21, issues 18 through 24, and it was published back in uh, May through July of six, or 1965. I'm going to go to my friend Paul Schoon's wonderful book, The Comic Strip Companion, to read his plot synopsis for the Amarillo Challenge. Test flights of a succession of spacecraft all end in failure until, at last, the Daleks successfully master space travel. The Emperor leaves Scaro with an armada of saucers to conquer other worlds. The Daleks arrive on Alvega, a planet inhabited by intelligent plants called Amarils. When the Daleks burn the vegetation, the plants vow to fight back. The Amarils are governed by the Controller, a huge root brain located at the planet's core, which directs the plants to resist the invaders. A Dalek is destroyed when an Amaril showers it with rapidly germinating seeds. An Amaril is interrogated by the Daleks. The Controller declares war on the Daleks, and the plants unleash clouds of seeds. The Emperor orders four Dalek saucers to destroy every living thing on the planet, whilst he and the rest of the fleet depart. The four saucers raise the surface of Alvega, and the Daleks commence the construction of a city. The controller causes the ground to give way beneath the building site. With the city and three saucers destroyed, the Daleks use their last ship to drill down to the planet's core. The saucer is attacked and wrecked by a giant worm. 
The Daleks use the tunnel created by the worm to reach the core. The last surviving Dalek kills the controller, which results in the planet's destruction. The Emperor's next objective is a planet called Solturus. So there's a summation of what this story was about, and um, as far as the story goes, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it. It definitely, uh, I didn't realize until after the fact that it was written by David Whitaker and Terry Nation, and once you hear those two names, you definitely go, yep, this is definitely a Terry Nation or a, in a David Whitaker story. It definitely has that feel of a, a classic Dalek story, uh, just with no doctor involved. Uh, it's the Daleks out to take over a planet, and uh, the the plant creatures, the Amarils that are in here, definitely feel like something that Terry Nation would have created back in the 60s to to either take on the Daleks or for the Daleks to try to take over and control. Um, the the artwork in the in these strips is just breathtaking, um, especially in this Daleks collected edition from Panini. The the uh, remastering that they have done on these. Each page is just a, a kind of a masterpiece of art. It makes me long back for the days of uh, Sunday comic strips and with big uh, oversized comic strips to, to read and enjoy. This definitely has that feel. Kind of took me back a little bit to my childhood. Um, the story, like I said, was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And it's definitely uh, continues my interest in these Dalek comic strips and makes me want to continue reading those and uh, do more reviews of them as, as this podcast continues on. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Dalek comic strips, I'm sure if you go on Amazon or eBay, you can probably find a copy of this Daleks collection, uh, the Ultimate Collector's Edition of the classic 1960s strip, like it says on the cover. And it's something that you definitely don't want to miss out or pass up. So make sure you track that down. So uh, the Amarillo uh, Challenge was uh, an excellent uh, strip and one I highly recommend. Exterminate! Today on Dr. Who Panel to Panel, I have the extreme pleasure of talking to Richard Morris. Rich, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Hi there. It's great to uh, finally hook up with you after all the trouble uh, we had getting here. <laughs> yeah, we, we've kind of jumped through hoops back and forth. Uh, you made it through a hurricane. Yes, Yes, that's and, right. We had power up for a while, um, but, but but that's a great thing. But I, it, even the the hoops that we've been jumping through to to get in contact are nothing compared to the hoops I've been trying to jump through since I started this podcast to get in touch with you. Um, oh. You are the creator of of a, a, a fan made online comic strip called the Ten Doctors. Yes. And I guess my my first question to you is. Um, how long were you a Doctor Who fan before you even thought about doing the Ten Doctors? Sure. Uh, I can tell you that the first Doctor Who episode I ever watched was, uh, it was episode one of The Mask of Mandragora. Okay. And <clears throat> I was, I believe I was seven years old, and I was visiting my grandparents in England. And... Uh, my sister, I think, had seen my older sister, <clears throat> who had lived in England before. Like she, we moved over when she was two, when I was born in Canada. Okay. And uh, and she had, as a kid, she had seen some of the old uh, Patrick Troutons, I think. But she, okay. she didn't really remember much. But when we found it, it was on. She said, "I remember as kids, you know." She's like, "Oh, I remember seeing this." And then she, we turned it on, and I saw my first episode, and I had nightmares for months. 
about this <laughs> bolt of energy skipping across the water. But I was really, uh, I, I was really sort of transfixed by Tom Baker. Sure, I, I found him absolutely fascinating. And uh, when I, it was, I think the next trip out to England we took, I made a point to try to find the show and watch it. And the next one I saw was, um, I believe, it was episode two of Warriors Gate, which was still okay. Tom Baker. Um, and uh, and it was as great as I remembered it. I had so much fun. And then I discovered years later, like oh, my my grandmother had bought me a, a, an annual when we were there because okay. I enjoyed the show so much. So she bought me the nineteen eighty one nineteen eighty eighty one um, annual. Uh huh. And uh, and so I absorbed that book. I read it back and front. I knew the stories off my heart. <laughs> I loved. It. And there, of course, all the annuals had a comic section as well. Yeah. So there was a comic. And so uh, as I was a cartoonist, anyway, I drew I drew everything. Um, I started drawing Doctor Who comics, but of course I I couldn't capture the likeness of the character, so I I would you know I'd, I'd start it and it was off and I hated it and I'd, I'd throw it out or I'd abandon it or whatever. Uh-huh. When I discovered that we could actually get it in Canada years later, uh, I watched it every opportunity. Me and uh, I had about two or three friends who also knew the show, and it was really not mainstream then. It was it was weird yeah. and that weird thing from England that people thought was stupid because they were used to better effects and other shows. Uh-huh. So we, we had this little group of us that would get together and watch Doctor Who religiously, and, and it was uh, Peter Davison at the time. And then like a public station got a hold of the old Tom Bakers. And then after they'd done that, they went back and started showing old black and whites. And so I, over the years, over like my, like from the ages of about eight to, no, I guess 10 or 11, uh, all the way through, I absorbed everything Doctor Who I could get a hold of. And I watched all of them. And I, I read all the. I collected the Target novelizations and absorbed uh-huh. those. Yeah. So I think I got a. I developed a pretty good handle on the characters and and uh, the way they spoke and the, the motivations and some of the histories of a lot of the races. And then we picked up the Doctor Who role playing game. And as an avid D and D player, that was like, you know, the holy grail. So we uh-huh. started yeah, in the best started, of both worlds. Yeah. So we started running uh, Doctor Who RPGs for each other. And so we had like. We had original characters in the universe, and we had to get to know the universe really well. So, and we developed more mythology for it ourselves. And so, it, it was really, it was a really big thing for me for years and years and years. And I would continue to draw it. So that's that's my history with the show. Okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, for high school Hall- Halloweens, I was uh, Tom Baker, and my friend was Peter Davison. You know, so I had like the wig and a scarf. And oh, yeah, coat. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so so you were watching it all throughout the the classic era, um, yeah. And you also were were drawing stuff at the time. So were you a, a com- an avid comic book reader when you were younger as well? About the same time as Doctor Who. Interestingly, no, I never got into comics. Oh really? Um, I, I watched cartoons on TV. Okay. Uh, as as a little kid, and I I enjoyed the ones that were that still made me funny, and that still made me laugh. I mean, when I got older, so like the Bugs Bunnies and uh-huh. you know, the Pink Panthers and that sort of stuff. So I liked animation. Okay. Uh, I did not like the way comics were written. I tried oh, really? many times, and uh, yeah, I had I collected. I mean, when I found out Marvel was doing a line of Doctor Who comics, I picked those up, of course. But I was I tried to read the Star Trek ones, and and I couldn't get into superheroes at all. Okay. So I, yeah, I wasn't into that. I tried reading. I did not like the comics that I read because I thought they didn't sound like the actors. You know, I didn't sound like the people, and and I found the writing hokey. And and I don't know. I just it, it just irked me. There's, there's so I would write my own. I'd write my own. You know. Okay. <laughs> and 
And they were probably crap. I don't know. I threw a lot of them out. I still have like samples <laughs> of these really old comics where I would just take a like a standard piece of typing paper, right, eight and a half by eleven, and I draw a line across the middle, make a made bisect it both ways, and then I'd have four panels, uh-huh. and then I'd sure. break it up into eight panels, and I draw in regular rectangles. So I didn't. I, I stayed out of the. Uh, I never really learned them. Uh, comic kind of the, formatting. The, the comic book storytelling. Yeah, well, the where, visual but, storytelling. Uh-huh. But what that did help with, of course, is in my career, I got into storyboarding. So the, all the panels that I draw in professionally look like the panels that I draw in my comics. So instead of right. instead of making myself learn how to do comics the way the comics are done, I said, well, I'll just draw them like storyboard panels. And so I kept my uh, my eight my in my eight box uh-huh. format. So all my comics are like that: the Afghik ones and the Doctor Who ones, and the you know um, uh, House of Paulus, my Roman themed one. They're all done the same way with the the eight sure. channel format, and they're done like storyboards for a TV show. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was interesting when when I started following along on the Ten Doctors. It was the the first thing I noticed was the the eight panels, which it it fits in with your storyboarding uh, career. Uh, because it was, it's laid out as almost like storyboards. But the the other thing I noticed was that the the art style that you used for all your characters was to me was very reminiscent of Chuck Jones. Oh wow! High praise indeed. Thank you. <laughs> it, it, the 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 designs for all the the doctors and the companions and and all the different characters that were in the ten doctors very much looked like if you would. Be, give Chuck Jones a pencil and said, here, draw Tom Baker in your, your animation style. That's what it oh, reminded me of a great deal. And for those of people that are listening that have, might not have seen the 10 doctors, if you go to, to doctor who comics.com, I'm going to have some sample pages of the, the 10 doctors there. And you can see exactly what I'm talking about. And I would be hard pressed for people not to think of Chuck Jones when they look at your, your drawings. <laughs> Um, I really appreciate that comparison. I really do. And I'll tell you I'll tell you why too. I always I wished I could draw realistic. And I can. You know, I've uh-huh. done uh, life drawing classes and uh, yeah. so I have done that. But at, especially at the time when I was doing the Ten Doctors, I was not confident that I could draw realistically the characters consistently. And what I had come to decide was I was going to cave as I was trained, right? So uh, between nineteen eighty uh, nine and 1992, I was uh, I was a student at Sheridan College uh, School of Animation. Okay. And we took a class called uh, Drawing for Animation, and it was how to draw cartoon characters, and they were expressive and dynamic, and so I could do cartoon e characters. Uh huh. Um, and I was stronger in, at that than I was with my realism, like my um, life drawing classes and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. I thought, well, I might as well embrace it, and except the fact that I'm a cartoonist and that's how I draw. And so I, I had to adapt all the characters into my cartoon style. And after I had been, because I was already working professionally when I did the 10 Doctors, I finally uh, accepted that that's how they were just going to look. Uh-huh. And I was able to draw them so that I was happy with them enough that I could keep going. Yeah. Um, so I guess that kind of leads us leads me into, I guess, the big question is, mm-hmm. how did the, the 10 Doctors come about? Yeah, great question. So, <clears throat> like I told you, I, I used to draw them all the time when I was a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had always wanted, I said, someday, I said to myself, self, I said, someday I'm going to be able to draw these well enough that I'll be able to do 
comics. And I'll be proud of them. Okay. Of, of not just Doctor Who, but anything. Uh-huh. And uh, so, uh, you know, I would play with the concept a little bit. I'd draw with friends. We had little games where, you know, we would both draw characters in a, in a situation or whatever. And, and, uh, and then on the side, I would... And, all through high school and, and uh, like uh, Sejep and stuff like that in college, I would I would draw little cartoons in the margins of my books. It wasn't just Doctor Who. Like I was into all sorts of things. So it was like Star Trek characters and uh-huh. you know zombies and and uh, whatever else was had pinged my radar at the time. But uh, then I went when I started working. Oh, I'll tell you what happened was uh, the show was canceled, right? Yeah. And um, 1989, there was no more Doctor Who. Uh, except in the the books, and I wasn't all that impressed with the new adventures line. I, I tried okay. to keep up with them. I read a few, and I just yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't how I wanted to experience it. So I, I kind of gave up on that. Okay, and I stuck with the targets and the classic stuff. Sure. <clears throat> and then, um, and and still, I had this idea. Wow, I could do my own continuing adventures if I could draw these characters the way I wanted to. And I, I kind of abandoned that idea for a while. Anyway, so I got to. Uh, when I, we, when I was working in Halifax, I moved from Montreal to Halifax. Uh, my family it was my wife had an opportunity to, to take a class that was only offered out here on the uh, the East Coast. Uh-huh. So we uh, we packed up and moved. I was I was out of work at the time because the studio that I was working at had closed down. So uh, we came over here to uh, to Halifax and I started looking around. A guy picked up a job at a studio and and Hillary got into work into her school and everything mm-hmm. was great and i thought wow just when things couldn't get any better they brought dr who back 1980 <laughs> hey i know 2000 uh, when was that 2005 2005 yep 2005 yeah so they brought the, uh-huh. the show back and i was so excited and it brought back all my all my fandom all my excitement for the show although i was tense because i i had i had not liked some of the changes when they redid star trek you know when next generation came out i had yeah and i was a real old classic i'm a real old guy so i was a real old school classic <laughs> star trek fan and uh-huh. next generation took me a while to get used to it to like it again yeah. so i was anticipating oh they're gonna do something yeah. wrong with it they're gonna do something wrong with it yeah but uh when i saw the pilot with uh, christopher eccleston there rose and i i was amazed i fell in love with it they were consistent they and the the whole season they kept the continuity uh-huh. It was consistent with the old series, and I didn't find any flaws with it. I had fallen in love with the new series all over again. So I thought, ah, oh, comics, i got to draw these characters. And so I started caricaturing Chris Eccleston and, and, uh, and of course, um, Paul, um, Paul McGann uh-huh. and added them to my repertoire of the Doctor Who characters that I love drawing. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized, wait, I can draw these characters relatively consistent as long as I keep them cartoony. Maybe I can do my comic. That I always wanted to do, so I started uh, experimenting, and I did a couple of doodles, and and then I did the first panel, the, the first page. So I had no plan of where it was going to go. I just I I put the tenant doctor because he had just regenerated to the tenth doctor when I started. Okay. So I put the tenth doctor in, and I thought, well, this will be my chance. They said if I never do another comic, another Doctor Who comic, I want to get everything everything I ever want to do in a Doctor Who comic in this one. <laughs> uh-huh. So I said, okay, I'll put all of them in it. Call it the Ten Doctors, because that's the that's the way that the show goes, right? Five yep. Doctors, three Doctors, two Doctors, Ten Doctors. <laughs> so I did the Ten Doctors, and I just kind of free freehanded the first little bit of the story, uh, not knowing where it was going to end up. I just a way to get everyone together. Uh-huh. And as I was getting them together, I thought, oh, okay, i got to have one of them, the odd man out, i got to have him not there. And when I realized I had gotten all the Doctors together, 
and had created a mystery, then I figured I better plan this out. So <laughs> I sat down and and, uh, and I started planning out this huge story arc, and I wrote all the characters down, and I had binders and posters and stuff with all this all written out. Yeah, one one and, of the uh, yeah one of the impressive things I know. Uh, like I was telling you, uh, I have a all the the pages of the Ten Doctors printed out. And yeah. it, it is a, a hefty tomb. It is a, a two-inch <laughs> binder full. It's 250-some pages of just the main story, not counting the director's notes and stuff to, that you put in behind. But one of the things that was really impressive is the flow chart that you have yes, of the story. The <laughs> yeah, and it's look, just looking at the flow chart, flow chart boggled my mind. It's like, how were you able to keep this, this straight of you have – for for a Doctor Who fan, it's a, a fan dream come true to have <laughs> all the doctors and companions galore and all the 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 monsters and villains and stuff here, there, and everywhere. If I Just recall keep... correctly, if I recall correctly, there is not one made up thing in it. Everything in there is from the series, old or new. Uh huh. Yeah, most, I, I think. Yeah. There, uh, even references when they talk about oh the aliens of blah that was they're all from an episode somewhere i, I was yeah, very, very careful to keep it all just the show except yeah, one thing there's one spot where uh my family makes a cameo <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's for for like people that are listening if you're a doctor who fan this story it's entertaining it's fun um you capture the the all the different doctor characters uh the, the actor portrayals, I thought, very, very well. Same with the companions. Um, there's references that I would say even the most uh, you know seasoned veteran Doctor Who fan is going to go, wow, he pulled this one out of you know nowhere. <laughs> yes, to, to, I think to bring I'm, in. I'm starting to think that you have to be a seasoned Doctor Who fan to appreciate it now. <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it first came out, I got a lot of um, like a lot of praise and a lot of people saying, oh, this is canon for me now and all kinds of wonderful, wonderful comments. But I think now it's aged enough that it's all like you have to be an old school Doctor Who fan I, to appreciate it now. <laughs> I, I, I think that if you're if you're an old school Doctor Who fan or, you know, somebody who's watch Doctor Who and knows their Doctor Who, I think you will really, truly appreciate all the work that you put into it and all the the references and, like I said, everything that the story has in inside of it from the beginning to the end. For people that are just even casual Doctor Who fans that, you know, know that there's multiple Doctors and various different companions, you don't necessarily have to know your all your Doctor Who lore, but mm-hmm. you, you still get to, to hear you know, alien names and see these characters that you go, yeah, you know, even if you don't know who, uh, uh, the Zerafin. Yeah. Yeah. Zerafin or, you know, (laughs) any of a lot of the classic monsters and stuff, you don't have to know who they are, but you will look at them and you'll go, yep. I don't know who that is, but it definitely looks like a classic doctor who monster to me, or it would fit into a show, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. I think one of the nicest uh, compliments I got was while people were getting into the the new series, the new Who, um, is a lot of them would, or a lot of a lot of people who contacted me anyway, would use the Ten Doctors to brush up on lore they weren't familiar with from the classic series, rather than research the episodes. Uh huh. And I thought that was probably the nicest, the biggest compliment I could have was that you know that this is, it's it's not it's helpful for people trying to orient themselves with the classic shows. And blending with the new shows. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah. How, I, I how mean, it was never intended to be published, even. I just I was doing it for fun for myself. 
Yeah. And um, uh, and the people started reading it. <laughs> what? Uh, how how much work did it did it entail for you to to research all this information? I knew most of it already. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, because, like I said, I I uh, well, I watched all the shows multiple times. Uh-huh. Um, I read the target novelizations as many of them as I could. I had a lot. In fact, I only just got rid of a whole bunch of of them recently because oh, yeah. they were they're taking up three shelves in my my house. Um, I just kept all the classics that I really loved. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, as a as a role player, as, as someone who was like GMing Doctor Who stories in the Doctor Who universe, I had made a point to learn what this was all like, and I got like some supplement books at um, FASA, who of course lost a license because they overused a lot of characters and stuff. Yeah, uh, they they overstepped their license boundaries, but they put out some wonderful books, uh, supplement books for the universe, and one of them was uh, the Daleks, uh-huh. and it laid out the history of the Daleks. Uh, according to the um, <clears throat> uh, according to the series, and then they added stuff that they sort of made up new stuff and added it to it. And at the same time, I got a uh, someone. Uh, I believe my wife, or maybe it was before I met her. I can't remember now. I got a someone gave me a book. It was called the uh, History of the Universe According to Doctor Who. Okay. And it was published after the show was canceled, so it goes all the way up to Sylvester McCoy's run. And it is it takes the universe and breaks it up into history. So there's like ancient history, and it goes like to the to the creation of the universe, you know, before the this begin, or the elder beings. Yeah, the beginning the, of time to the end of time. Is that of the, the time book all the way up to the distant future, right, where the you know Frontios and uh, you sure. know and the TARDIS flies off. The book, the, the book that Lance Parkin wrote. Possibly, I lost. Has, had a blue cover with a with Sylvester McCoy's eye on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yep, yep. That yeah, was. I got that for Christmas one year, and yeah, that that book is. Uh, okay, yeah, so that, that book has actually continued on. There's a, there's a, he continued on doing that. He, they published a couple different incarnations of that book since then, um, called A History. Oh, okay. I'm where, gonna, where, it's, yeah, that it's was actually, uh, making the ten doctors. That was probably the single most useful book to have on hand because I could say. You know, they're going to 17th century Spain or whatever. What was the Doctor doing at that point? Flip through, see what was uh, going on in the Doctor Who universe, see what aliens were, were present. And then I could cameo them, you see. Yeah. So my my story, not only was it consistent with the history of the characters and stuff, but I tried to keep it consistent with contemporary Earth. Where was everybody at the time? So I calculated how old, say, um, Ian Sullivan. Is that his name? Harry Sullivan? Harry, sorry, yeah. Ian, yeah, that's the name of the actor. Oh, Harry yep. Sullivan. <laughs> so, yeah, I had to calculate how old Harry Sullivan was in 19, or whenever it was I was publishing, so 2005 or whatever. Uh-huh. How old was he then? You know, and so I had to draw him like that. And yeah. so, yeah, I was very careful to try to keep it consistent and temporally as well as show history. And then I complicated it for myself by having the Ninth Doctor experience the whole thing backwards. <laughs> so <laughs> he had to know everything that had already happened at the uh-huh. beginning and he had to be experiencing it all for the first time at the end <laughs> so that's what the flowchart was for <laughs> totally makes sense uh how how did the you said you started off the story just with the very first page not really knowing where it was going to go um mm-hmm. when did you get the 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 initial idea of okay now i know where i want to take the story 
I, I can't honestly say when or if it ever actually happened. Okay. Um, it it was very organic. I, I I like to say that I like to imagine maybe I'm fantasizing and, and sort of remembering it better than it was, but I like to imagine that it was writing itself because I was. No, I guess that can't be true because I I knew where it was going to go at some point. Um, mm-hmm. so I think what of... happened was I got them. So I got them sp- like spread out, right? So I got to the point, the end of that scene where they were. I had the eighth Doctor on Gallifrey talking to the Lord President, uh-huh. right? And then he runs into the Master because yeah. the mas- The last time we had seen the Master, he was trapped. He got sucked into the TARDIS in the in the the special in the yep. Fox film. Uh-huh. So he was there. So. I had the, I had the eighth doctor meeting the master, and the all the other doctors splitting up into the Tardises. I wanted to keep them in groups so that I could have them interacting with each other. Sure. And I wanted to keep them in groups of similar doctors. So I thought, you know, like the, obviously, uh, Patrick Troughton and Sylvester McCoy were very much alike, uh-huh. and I wanted to have them develop this funny little friendship. So I had them go off in a Tardis together, and so I had them spread out in their own direction so they could interact. And then I guess I, what I did was I sat down and I said, okay, so who are the villains? Who is the biggest villain the Doctor has ever met? Because it's going to have to be them. Mm-hmm. And it came down to the Guardians. And then I worked, started to work backwards from there. Who's next? Or then with the Celestial Toymaker was there because he was really powerful. And I had the Eternals and um, obviously the Master. And I had to have billions of Daleks in it. Yep. I had big Dalek fan. So I need the Daleks <laughs> everywhere. Davros. So and I just calculated. I, I figured out. I wrote down all these names, all these villains and everything, and sort of ordered them by who was the most powerful and sort of okay. figured out who would be working for who and why and, and how would they betray each other and how would the Doctor defeat them. And I kind of sure. blended all that into a story to figure out who was. Okay, so the master plan is they're trying to upset time. Obviously, they're trying to get rid of the Doctor, so he, was ne- who he never existed in the first place, and so on and so on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So- oh, actually, I lied. There is an original character, the Lord President. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of people kept asking me, "Is that Romana?" And I said, "Well, I did. I was not aware at the time that Romana had become Lord President in one of the new, yeah, in the the new Lord President. Yeah, she had become yeah. a Lord President in one of the later stories that was written after the show was canceled. I didn't. I'd never read that. Yeah, yeah. So no, I just decided it was a a woman uh, just, uh, Lord President this time, just because there hadn't been one yet. And, uh-huh. But I said, you know, if it, if it makes people happy to think it's Romana, then go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, go for it. Yep. Sure. Why not? Sure, you can interpret it that way. So when when this was when you were doing this story, when you were actually creating it and putting it up on the internet, um, I don't remember. Were you doing like a page a week? Couple, just kind of a, hmm. whenever you got a page done, you'd post it. Yeah, that I had to be doing it that way because um, it took me a day. Like, I, if I spent all day working on it i could get about uh two pages done okay uh now i'll get to that in a second so yeah it took me about two days to get to get a page done oh no sorry two pages to get done in a day but i was working i was Mm -hmm. i was doing storyboarding no yeah i was doing storyboards for an animation studio and so what would happen was uh, we were on this sort of weird, late, late, weird, slow schedule where we would have like a day to rush through the work and everything, and then we would hand it in and we'd have to wait for feedback before we could do any corrections or anything. So, and yeah. we could be waiting a couple of days before we heard anything. Sure, so you had some downtime in between. So I had time, yeah. So I would use that time to do it, and uh, and I was I wasn't just doing the ten doctors; I was also doing Yafkik at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
so I would sort of split my time between them. So what I would try to do was get a buffer. So I would get a whole bunch done and then publish them like one at a time. Right. So I could say, okay, I've, yeah, I, I can't work on it again for four days, but I've got five in the buffer, so I don't have to worry. And then sometimes there'd be, there'd be delays or skips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never so, have stuff in the hopper. So you're ready to go. So you can kind yeah. of keep that, that schedule. And you know. I think at one point there was a, a few months before another update came with the, with the 10 doctors. Yeah. Whereas you know. with, uh, with the, um, with Yafkik, with my other comic, the yet another fantasy gamer comic, I was careful. I wanted that one to be updated every day. So I updated that one absolutely every day. And I kept on that for six years. Wow. I didn't, I didn't miss a single day with Yafkik, but the doctor, uh, 10 doctors, um, you know, it, it was, uh, a little less consistent than that, but I got it all out. Uh-huh. I was very yeah, excited to get the last page done. <laughs> <laughs> I did a whole story. Uh-huh. When when you got that last page done, were you kind of relieved that you had it all finished? I was really proud that I had finished it. I think that was the first. I bet. That was the first comic that I had ever actually, not the first one, but the first one that was important to me that I actually got to the end of the story, and it was huge. So it was this huge story, and I finished it. And I was so I was yeah I was really pleased. I was exhausted a little bit of it. <laughs> I was tired of it, so I didn't want to do yeah. any more Doctor Who at first. Um, so when it was done, I thought, okay, I don't ever have to do another Doctor Who comic again. But it was fun to talk about, it. and then it got this amazing feedback. All these people who loved it, including Tony Lee. So what happened was, yep. um, so the Ten Doctors was was rolling, and I had was getting lots and lots of feedback. Lots of people were reading it. Um, uh-huh. I had no idea how big it was. I don't know how big it ever got, to be honest with you. I, I just know a lot of people loved it, and that's all that mattered to me. But I did get a lot of calls into for interviews like this. And I said, oh, yeah. I mean, even the fact that I'm still doing them today, you know, is amazing to me. But <laughs> so, so a lot of people reading it. And then I got a message from Tony Lee at one point. And he, was, he said to me, um, so I understand you write The Ten Doctors. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, he said um, I, he was he was concerned that I may have ripped them off because he was working on he was working on a story where the doctors the the, te- the ten doctors were in it and he was going back okay. over memories and stuff. It was like the uh-huh. first of his his new Doctor Who's, and uh, he was concerned that I had stolen hit the story or that I had sort of ripped them off, and uh, so he wanted to check in and he said, "When did you start?" writing yours and I gave him the date of the first publication of the first page and it beat his so mine was first so I had done mine like a, a uh-huh. couple of months or something maybe a month or so before his he had started working on his oh, so so, really so, cool. okay so here it's not a ripoff good and then he said can you tell me the story or send me the link or no, he, he's, oh no he said what he did was he wanted to send me a summary of the story that he was writing so that I could tell, I could tell him if it was too similar to mine. Okay. So what he was concerned about was me suing him for copyright if I had written mine first. Sure. See? And first of all, I said, well, I I didn't take any copyright on this. It's it's a fan thing, so you know, I I, I don't think I'd have a legal leg to stand on if you did did yeah. a similar story. Uh, but I, he sent me the thing and I read it and I wrote back and I said, no, it's a, uh, I said it's a totally different story. And he said, good. I said, did you want to read it? And he said, no, I can't. Uh-huh. And I said, well, why not? And he said, well, because if, 
I, I believe the I thing was he said uh, if I read it and I do something similar, then it's too similar. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was all kinds of legal if, issues he was worried about. I thought, if, okay, if, no if he would have read it and then uh, finished writing his story, and even if you would have thought that even one little you know speck of his story was taken from your strip, then you could sue him. Exactly. Exactly. So what we we basically said, okay, no problem. And we kind of struck up a little bit of a friendship. Like we were writing back and forth for a while. And, uh, I, I, he said, I mean, he, I think he did have ended up reading it later and he said he, he enjoyed it. Uh And and I read his and it wasn't, it was comic, you know, it it was, I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to, but I mean, it, Uh it was good. It was good. Um, Anyway, so I thought we should write together sometime, and he said, "Yeah." And he never come back to me. So I, I, yeah, I was, yeah, that's kind of this, as far uh, as went. Yeah, this uh, you know amateur upstart, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I was probably overstepped my bounds there, but uh, yeah, so that that went well. I can't remember why I told that story now, but uh, oh, because I, I was asking, or you were talking about the, the feedback you got. Um, oh yeah, yeah, so, oh yeah. yeah you, there were, I'm sure you had quite a few fans that were following along and, and yeah and a, few, and a few professional artists who who got in contact with me i did a little thing with a guy who used to do the little uh comics in doctor who magazine oh for, really yeah yeah he used to do these funny little strips and so i was doing some political strips with him for a little while i don't know where they ended up oh very what cool. happened to, i worked with him for a little bit uh yeah so the yeah so the feedback was uh was amazing so i had no idea yeah it's you know i was one who was following along and like I said, I put it together in a, 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 a book form so I could just, you know, read it whenever I wanted to. And uh, did you ever think about maybe doing like a, an actual physical compilation of that of that story? Yes, I have. And um, when we started it, we were concerned about legal issues. And because I was doing Yafkik at the time and I was working in animation studios. Uh-huh. And uh, we started uh, some anime. Some sorry, some science fiction con- comic conventions started happening here in Halifax. It's like they they had resurrected this old comic con that they hadn't had in years, and so we started going as vendors. And I was selling the books of Yafkik, and I thought, well, I can sell those because they're my personal property. But how much yeah. copyright infringement would it be for me to publish the Ten Doctors? Right, like I couldn't. Yeah. Do it. I suppose I could just make the volume and print them by on demand or whatever. Yeah. But and I don't know. I didn't know if I would get in any legal trouble for doing that, so I never did. Um. But I, I did make prints that I would sell of uh-huh. the characters, and uh, so like I had portraits of all the all the doctors, and I and then later on I added uh, Matt Smith, and um, oh, did you? Yeah. To my print pile. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, it was it was pretty neat, and and I did others, and and people would also because I was like a vendor, a vending artist or whatever, an artist alley. People would come and they'd buy my Yafkik books, and they we talk about the Ten Doctors as well, and then they would sometimes commission me to do things. So I did, uh-huh. like I did some comics of. Um, there was like this this one woman who came to me. Her husband was a big Doctor Who fan, and he was wearing a Doctor Who outfit as a like a hall like a hall costume at the convention okay. so she uh-huh. asked me if i would do him like a comic with him and so i did a little a little eight panel strip of him oh, running, yeah. to, running into <laughs> one of the actual doctors you know oh, that's cool uh, stuff like that so I, there's a lot of those floating around in the ether that people had commissioned of that i'd done uh and then 
after a while, the Doctor Who comic bug got back to me, and I started doing more. So I have done, and I believe most of them are, are available on that webpage if I can get it running again. Uh-huh. Um, I did um, crossover stories. So I did, there was like this um, Canadian uh, vampire story that my wife was a big fan of, a uh, TV series called Forever Night. Oh, sure. And, and it, it was about this vampire cop in Toronto who... Uh, you know, he's, he, he of course only works the night shift. He's trying to become he's trying to to become human again, and so he has these adventures with yeah. the cops and everything. And she was a big fan of it, so I did I did a crossover story with uh, it was Peter Davison and Paul McGann. Part of the, one of the features of the show was it would be like the modern times, the vampire guy having like a a crime he's trying to solve in modern times, and he'd flash back to a previous time because he's hundreds of years old, right? So he'd yeah. have a flashback to a time when he was when he was young in the Victorian era or whatever. And so I formatted the comic the same way. So it was uh, Paul McGann runs into the cop vampire guy in modern times. And in the flashback, Peter Davison's doctor runs into him in medieval times. Uh-huh. And <laughs> and uh, so the vampire villain in that one was uh, Lacroix. He was like the super vampire evil guy. And so him and the master get into it. Okay. So I had two villains and two doctors and two sort of blended storylines, and it was almost as cool as the ten doctors, <laughs> if you were a fan of, the, of Forever Night. Uh-huh. Uh, so I did that, and I, and I, and then after that one, my wife said to me, uh, she started challenging me. What about could you cross over with something totally not Doctor Who? And I said, like what? And she said, how about uh, Gem and the Holograms? <laughs> and I took the challenge, and so it's uh, I did. Um, it was um, Outrage of the Zygons, and it's about uh, Colin Baker, the Sixth Doctor, and and um, Mel. Uh-huh. And they go to a Gem and the Holograms concert, and it turns out that they're that the technology that they're using is alien, or from the future or whatever. And so it turns out that their their tech guy from the TV show is actually a Time Lord, and he's working with the with the Zygons. Uh, so, all, so you know, it was it was totally ludicrous, but it was so uh-huh. sixth Doctor nineteen eighties that it worked out really well. <laughs> so I did I did a few of those, and I have uh-huh. I still have plans for dozens of these things. Uh, oh, interesting really? Things to do with timelines. Yeah, I want to do one. I wanted to do one where my 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 panels read down. Okay, so you you see the page that's divided into eight. Uh-huh. And then the story starts at the top panel, but twice. So it would be like the same panel twice. And it was like a Sylvester McCoy story. Okay. So he shows up at this place, but you see it twice in the two panels. And then the next panels are the same. The next panels and the next panels. And then it gets to a point where he's looking through this, this sort of warehouse or whatever, and he looks into a mirror. Right? Uh-huh. And then in, on one side, um, Ace distracts him and he looks away. But on the other side, Ace calls to him, but he doesn't look away. And from that point on, the stories diverge. Oh, and really? So it's two parallel stories where the one slight change happened, and then in one of them they get into trouble. He rescues Ace, and they go off as the show formula has it. But in the other one, Ace gets captured, and he gets killed and regenerates into this totally new and never seen before Doctor. You know, so I wanted to play with timelines and and stuff like that. But yeah, that would be an interesting um, doing the with that layout. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see how that would all work together. Yeah, I got I, I got kind of my the steam got blown out of me though when I started working on a really big one for a guy who was paying me, like he wanted to do a, do- a Doctor Who James Bond crossover. And I thought, oh, that could be fun. Uh-huh. And we started it, but 
while I was working on it. So like he would pay me to do page, a page of the comic and we'd work on the story together because he didn't really know what he wanted. But he kept adding stuff and adding stuff and adding stuff. And I was getting overwhelmed. And my interest in it sort of petered out, unfortunately. Yeah. And that all kind of crashed like a house of cards. And uh, so I never finished that one. Some of it, it, a lot of it exists. And it was pretty cool because it's, you know, obviously James Bond is a Time Lord as well. Yeah. And so <laughs> it starts off with uh, the Tenth Doctor showing up at the casino and he blows his cover and immediately starts this action sequence. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. And, but and I talked to him since and apologized for 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 um, ditching it like that. But and we said, oh, we should probably try and continue it someday. But I don't know. It's it's a huge, huge story. Yeah. All we're like thirteen doctors and nine <laughs> nine James Bonds and uh-huh. uh He wanted he was trying to go in like ten doctors proportions again, and I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. So um, yeah. That, that's totally understandable. That, I never got back to it again after that. <laughs> um. Yeah, with the ten doctors, like I said, it's it's uh, uh, colossal the, the 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 scope of it. Have you oh. ever? I'm since you you were a big fan of Tom Baker growing up, and um, have you ever thought about maybe doing a, a shorter story with maybe just like Tom Baker, like one of your favorite doctors and companions, yeah. and just doing kind of a basic story? Yeah, yeah. Um... Again, I'm really into. I guess I'm still into the crossover ideas. Okay. I, what I like to do is I like to, and I did it with the Doctor Who was kind of the same project, but exclusively the Doctor Who universe, where I sort of knit things together that you wouldn't expect to knit together, but do. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of a hobby of mine, probably because of my role playing experience and stuff as a GM. But it's kind of a hobby of mine to take universes that don't necessarily fit together and seeing how they would fit together. Okay. Right. So things like um, the story of the Cybermen, for example, right? So they're they're on this parallel Earth that or- orbits the other side, right? Like yep. Mondas. Uh huh. And Mondas gets shot out of orbit, and they go flying off, wee off into the ether, and then you have all the Doctor Who stories, right? Yep. And then they go all the way out to the end of the galaxy, swing around, and come back. And as it comes back, you'll get the 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 tenth planet, you get the moon base, like the adv- advanced guys, whatever the moon base, and uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. So you have the whole complete story of the Cybermen there. They go away, they come back. So I kind of worked in a few other things, like while they were far, far away, right? They ran into a planet and became, uh, and a bunch of them would jump off and become different things. And so one group became uh, the Borg from Star Trek. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it sort of, I mean, that's like an obvious one. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I, I had them worked into, I can't remember how it worked exactly now, but I also had them worked as the Cylons. They, some of them became Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. Okay. And then, uh, so yeah, they sort of come back. And I had another another crossover. Oh, um, the show UFO. Did you ever see the show UFO? No, that one has escaped my range. Okay, so did you ever, did you ever see Space 1999? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Space 1999 was the reworked sequel to a show called UFO. Okay. Very, very similar in concept. And in UFO, it takes place in 1980. It was, which was the future because it was written in the 70s. Uh-huh. Uh And they're they're a secret organization called Shadow, and they're defending the Earth from uh, from UFOs that are coming and invading. And and it turns out that over the course of the one season existed, you learn that they're stealing body parts and rebuilding new bodies for themselves. Oh, yeah. Well, it just happens to work out to around the same time as 
Doctor Who shows like um, the Tenth Planet and the Moon Base and the Invasion, where the the Cybermen are sending advanced scouts, right? Uh-huh. So I've now blended UFO into <laughs> Doctor Who, and it all works out. Which means Space 1999 happens about ten years later, after the UFO invasion and the Cybermen, therefore, are no longer an issue, and they've populated the Moon Base. I mean, I granted the moon gets blown out of orbit, which, you know, causes a time rift. But, you know, and, uh-huh. anyway, I had all these concepts. And so I, I really wanted to do a story that reconciles the so for season one of Space 1999 with season two of Space 1999 and use um, John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Okay. Because they were the contemporary doctors, right? Uh-huh. Um, yep. On either parallel timeline and figure out how they mesh. And it turns out that they're separate timelines. And anyway, I, I got these really intricate plans for a lot of things. Yeah, I'd love to do a lot more stories with these characters. Yeah. I just wish <laughs> I had the time for it. Yeah, that's the, so the, as the you hard part. As you get older, time seems to disappear. It's like there's less of it and less of it all the time. Yeah, that sure seems the case. So yeah. so you're, you're a story bar artist. That's how you do what your career is. Um, for those people listening, uh, do you have any like uh, shows that you've worked on that we'd be familiar with? Absolutely. Uh, my first big show was in 1996. I was the character prop designer for Arthur. Okay. So uh, I worked on that for four years. I worked on, and then I was a designer for um, Mode of the Vampire, and I worked on Animal Crackers, and... Yeah, a bunch of there. And then I moved out to Halifax. I was a storyboard artist on, um, let's see, uh, Bo on the Go. A lot of little kitty shows, so they, they were kind of crappy. Sure. Bo, Bo on the Go and Animal Mechanicals, uh, things like that. Okay. Uh, oh, and uh, Lunar Jim. I did a board artist on Lunar Jim. Okay. And more recently, I was on um, <laughs> Jim Henson's... Um, the Doozers show. Oh yeah, I was in the first season of that, and uh, the re the most recent re revival of Inspector Gadget. Oh okay. Uh, I was I worked on that, and currently I'm working on the another second season of Care Bears. Oh, you know, uh, live the adventure that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, so <laughs> yeah, well, that's, hey, that's some of my some of my shows. Some of my more popular. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. You know, anytime you can take a. A passion for like that for for drawing or illustrating and uh, make a career out of it. That's a good thing. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, and uh, I did um, a show that you really ought to watch uh, called Saving Me. I can't remember where it's being shown now. It's a, it's being shown online. Okay. Um, I was board artist on that, and it's, it, it was an awesome show. It's uh, it's about uh, a kid who grows up to be this old, he's this old uh, crotchety guy and and he's rich and he's an inventor, but he's kind of a nasty person and he's going to destroy his life, his family life, his friendships and and pretty much the world by being a jerk. And so what he does is he invents this machine that allows him to project himself into his, into his childhood brain. Oh, okay. And he's trying to teach himself how to be not such a jerk and improve his life. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, of course, neither of them know how to be a nice guy, so it, <laughs> it doesn't always go well. <laughs> yeah, that could be a challenge. Yeah, so, uh, but it's really funny, um, and it's being shown online. I wish I could find them. Oh, here we are. BYUTV.org. I'll have to so, yeah, check that one out. Yeah, it's a pretty funny show. Uh, one of yeah. my best friends was my supervisor on that, and we had a great time. 
Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, and uh, your your uh, online comic strip uh, is still going. Still yeah, going strong. Yeah, yafgc. dot net. Yeah. net. It's a uh, it's a fantasy world, sort of a Dungeons and Dragons one. I, I've been doing that one uh, since two thousand six, and uh, it's still going. Um, it, I've I have updated because it was very medievally fantasy Dungeons and Dragonsy at first, and recently I sort of updated the world like their technology has advanced, so it's more like uh, swashbucklers, seventeen uh, hundred swishy coats and tricorn hats, and okay. fencing swords and and uh, pistols. So I think there's a murder mystery happening right now in it that is being co-written or rather written, <laughs> I should say, by my friend uh, and my friend Taras Baker's Twelve. Um, uh-huh who is a writer in the uh, video game industry. Uh, so he's writing the mystery because he's really good at mysteries. Oh, awesome. So that's that's happening. And um, apart from that, all my other comics, he was sort of on hold, but I got a bunch of them that I... I now, that, thanks for actually for this. Give me a chance to see that I need to f- get the, my other website working again so I can put the 10 doctors back out there and no show my other stuff. Yeah. Because my other yeah. pet project, of course, that doesn't get a lot of a lot of uh, talk is um, my Roman one, House of Paulus, was a comic I did set in Rome. Oh yeah, and it was about this uh, this wealthy Roman guy who decides he needs to get married, and so his uh, little friend, his little, um, um, his he's got a like a like a secretary who basically puts an ad out. And he gets okay. overrun with people wanting to marry him, and so it's all uh-huh. him trying to decide. I think in the end of the story, of course, he decides, eh, "I'm not getting married. It's not, not worth it." <laughs> and I'm currently very slowly working on a sequel called Son of Paulus, where he decides he needs an heir. Well, like I said, you know the the Ten Doctors for me back in the day, it was just a treat to read. Uh, you know, there's exactly like I said, it's it, it is what it is. It's it is what it says on the tin. It has all Ten Doctors. It has companions galore it has villains it has uh you know lots of humor lots of good storytelling and uh i highly recommend it to people it's something that that uh if you're a if you know a little bit about doctor who if you're a longtime doctor who fan everybody can get something out of this and really enjoy it i shoved everything i could think of into it and then more. <laughs> most definitely <laughs> well rich you know like uh i've been trying to get to track you down for quite some time uh, I, I'm so glad that I was able to, to get in touch with you and uh, have a chance to spend uh, some time chatting about the 10 Doctors and other stuff that you've been working on. And uh, thank you very much for putting out the 10 Doctors. Thank you for chatting with me today. And uh, I look forward to seeing what other works you have up your sleeve uh, in the future. Thank you very much. And it was wonderful to chat with you and meet you. Many thanks to creator Rich Morris, the creator of the Ten Doctors comic strip, for joining me. Like I said, it was a long time coming. I've been a fan of his strip since it was coming out back a decade ago, even before this podcast even existed. And I've been trying to track him down and get a hold of him. And uh, who knows that it would be uh, that easy and that much fun to chat with him and learn about the Ten Doctors and about his other work. You can find Rich's work on uh, his website, which is yafgc.net, which stands for Yet Another Fantasy Gamer Comic. You can find uh, that strip as well as his other work on there. He is hard at work on getting the Ten Doctors back up on the internet. Uh, We've been chatting back and forth as he's been working on this. 
So make sure you check out his website, yafgc.net, for the latest news about getting the 10 Doctors back up. And uh, if you want a sample of what he has done or what the 10 Doctors is, make sure you go to my website, which is doctorwhocomics.com. I'll have some sample pages of uh, the 10 Doctors as well as the uh, timeline that we talked about in uh, the interview. And you can see what he had or had done in the past with the 10 Doctors. And uh, it'll just kind of whet your appetite for when he gets a chance to get it back up and on the internet. A couple other things I want to mention before I close this episode out. One, um, I'm selling off my collection of Doctor Who magazines. I just don't have space for them anymore. Uh, I, they've been sitting in a storage room, and I, I don't reference them very often, especially when it comes to comic strips. It's a lot easier for me to just go to my collected editions on my shelf than have to dig through boxes and boxes and find the strips I want to read. And since they've all been reprinted uh, pretty much in collected edition form, I don't need the magazines anymore. So, if you would be interested in buying some Doctor Who magazines, all basically in new near mint condition, go to eBay and do a search for seller Doctor Who TARDIS, D-R-W-H-O-T-A-R-D-I-S, or do a search for Doctor Who magazine, and you can find a lot of single magazine listings. Chances are, if you find a listing for a single Doctor Who magazine, it's one that I'm selling. Um, I'm willing to ship worldwide, so... um, You'll help uh, get stuff out of my house and also help fund a vacation that uh, my family and I are planning on taking next year. So that uh, announcement, quick one out of the way. Another one, Paul Cornell, friend of the show Paul Cornell, is going to be starting a fundraising campaign for the Complete Saucer Country. This was a comic series that started with DC and ended up at IDW. It is one of Paul's passion projects. It's a story about... uh, Government, conspiracy theory, and UFOs and aliens. What more do you need? You know, it kind of sells itself. But Paul is doing a fundraising campaign that is going to be starting here sometime very, very soon to uh, do a collected edition of this book, and uh, we definitely want to support that. I know I'll be supporting it. If you want to find out more information about that, uh, search for Paul Cornell and Saucer Country. Also, if you listen to the Radio Free Scarrow uh, podcast, this weekend's podcast, uh, as I'm recording this uh, and, and releasing this episode, uh, Radio Free Scarrow has a chat with Paul Cornell about Saucer Country, the fundraising campaign. And Paul will definitely have all the latest information about that. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you support Paul and uh, his work. So, with all that out of the way, thank you for those of you out there who downloaded this episode and have listened to it. Thank you for supporting my podcast. Thank you for supporting people associated with my podcast in way of Rich Morris and his website and Paul Cornell and his fundraising. And until next time, this is Jeremy Bement saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you.